Hello, you are listening to the OmniTalk Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with Microsoft, the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Takeoff, and Sezzle. The OmniTalk Fast Five is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter but most importantly, a little happier each week too. Today is January 20th. I am your host, Anne Mazinga. And I am Chris Walton. We are here once again to discuss all the top headlines making waves in the world of omnichannel retailing this week. Chris, before we get started, how does it feel to be named a top 100 retail influencer? Because you got the big nomination this week. Oh my gosh, Ann, I know, but I should ask you, how does it feel for you to be named a top 100 retail influencer? That was the big news out of this week, huh? Yeah, that, it's pretty exciting, you know? I feel like I should have prepared a speech or something, but um, instead we'll just blabber on about retail again like we it, usually do every like day. Like we usually do. Yeah, it, it, it basically means, that, here's the other thing I'd say to those watching, it means nothing to me at home. Like my wife doesn't like treat me any differently you know, she isn't like, hey, you're an influencer. Like, and yeah, I have no, no, it doesn't help me at all. We were respect. still, we were still three seats away from the toilet on the flight home from NRF <laughs> right. yesterday. So no, no upgrades happening for uh, being a top. Don't, don't you know we're top 100 retail I know, right? Like, come on, boarding priority? No, didn't happen. <laughs> but I see that you dress for the occasion too. I do have to point out that you, for those watching on video that you have a nice black turtleneck. I wonder, oh. I wonder what inspired you to wear that this week. I was man. inspired by Chris Walton's outfits sporting the uh for the he was sporting for the NRF uh innovation lab coverage that we did the last couple of weeks and it's negative 16 as the high today in Minneapolis that so. is it's freezing again but yes we're back from NRF we got back last night on the plane we're here ready to roll uh, I'm excited NRF was actually I actually thought NRF beat my expectations I thought for the yes. most part there weren't many people there but everyone I talked to seemed you know relatively positive about it. a lot of vendors said they had some good conversation with the retailers that are there i loved it too and shout out to chad edwards and lauren alston who just popped over to the booth they were like big fans of the show yes. want to give them a shout out because we love love when you guys do that it's such a great feeling and it means so much to us yeah yeah it was great you know i think every as everybody is aware like you know, a lot of people had to pull out, but what we were hearing from the the partners in the innovation lab and just really throughout the show is how many like conversations were happening, happening between vendors, which doesn't usually get to happen because they're yeah. all, you know, they, they're stuck to their booths. So I'm kind of excited to see like if there's some new, you know, like collaborations and partnerships that come out of NRF because it was the way it is. So I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. stay hopeful, Chris. 2022, yeah. the year of like positivity and hope. Let's yeah, see. NRF was like a petri dish in more ways than one, Ann. I think that's <laughs> what you're saying. But uh, but Ann, I'm pretty pumped. Like we've got we I'm I'm super excited for this show because the topics are cool, but joining us today are our friends from the AM Consumer and Retail Group. So we have David Ritter back. David, how are you today? I'm great. I'm feeling very influenced. Congrats on the on the <laughs> That influenced maybe even because of his shirt choice the good old dave here he's our he's sporting the flannel shirt today yeah, he's got lumberjack plaid on that's fantastic lumberjack plaid, dave cold front in austin down below 30 that's for, oh my gosh is that colder wow wow Do and then all- cut from eddie bauer for every shirt that you wear on our show <laughs> we're gonna have a we're gonna drop the link in the in the show notes to get dave's shirt so he can right. get his affiliate revenue yes Social commerce at work. Uh, and then also today, for the first time joining the show, although we've had him 
express his thoughts in our five insightful minutes segment to some acclaim before, and that is Jonathan Sharp. Jonathan, how are you? Hey, I'm very good. Thank you very much. Do I qualify as long-time caller, long-time listener, first-time caller, maybe? I think I think you can. I think so. Excellent. I think that... I, that, also, you know, I also noticed that if I zip up my half zip, it's almost a turtleneck, so... Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm loving with the mode. Yes. I'm with the mode. That's a nice jumper. That's a nice jumper, Jonathan. I like it. I like it. Well, hey, we got some headlines to get to, you two. So let's get right to it. In today's Fast Five, we're going to talk GoPuff's new private label line, the latest news in the checkout free wars, checkers and rallies rolling out voice ordering at the drive-thru, a new startup that just raised $25 million to help people not buy now, but save now and pay later. But first, we're going to take off as we always do with seemingly the continuing evolution of Walmart's home delivery plans. And that is right, Chris. This week, Walmart, yet again, said they'll be offering 24-7 delivery to Florida customers by way of a smart box that sits on the porch. So here's how it works. According to Gene Storage, the smart box from Home Valet, which we covered a few uh, months like ago. like last January or Yeah, that was a long time ago. podcast, yes enables unattended delivery of fresh groceries and packages directly to consumers' front doors. So you have the mobile app. It's a subscription service. Consumers can conveniently customize, manage, monitor, and remotely control their smart boxes for delivery anytime. The smart boxes have to be pre-ordered on the company's website with an initial down payment of $50 to reserve and a nebulous as low as $499 commitment on the site. So the app is currently downloadable for a monthly monthly subscription rather of $15 per month. There's a lot of uh, asterisk asterisks i can't even speak today, on, here today. i know on, on this and, offer <laughs> on this offer but um i want to start by going right to you dave ritter because i want to get your thoughts on the new home valet smart box delivery from walmart so first i think you got to talk about the concept and i actually really like the concept i think uh, ever the, the notion of allowing people into the home into the fridge was always a little far-fetched for me even, sure. into the, even into the garage was a little bit much. This feels much less intrusive. And I think that it is a natural evolution of last mile delivery and grocery. One of the biggest pain points that customers uh, call out beyond product substitutions is the difficulty getting it scheduled conveniently. And the name of the game in delivery is convenience. Uh, I do have some uh, issue with the pricing models. It feels like <laughs> there's, there's a lot of work to be done there. And some hidden you know, quite a bit of lack of, clar- lack of clarity there. Yes. Um, Jonathan, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I thought this was uh, the pricing definitely filters on uh, time pressed convenience premium customers. That's for sure. So they're going to get they're going to get the right bunch of folks from a retailer's point of view. It's fantastic, isn't it? It allows you to drive all of your kind of delivery efficiencies and network densities in ways that you want without being constrained by when the customer's home and you get them to pay for it. I mean, that's fantastic, isn't it? Um, I'm just waiting for someone to come up with, I don't know, a, a remote smart chef or something on my doorstep. Because <laughs> hands me uh, that, that, that's the next evolution. Yeah, well, think- that's actually the cool thing about this home valet. Like the it's it's a for those people who didn't listen to the podcast before, it's it's essentially a cooler that has compartments that you can, you know, do 
using the app, you can, you know, set the temperature so that you can, like you're saying, Jonathan, you can do like heat and eat meals in one section, freezer in another, and then, you know, stable shelf, stable goods in the middle. And it can all be contained in this one cooler on your doorstep. So, you know, there's a potential for future chef driven meals. I, I think, you know, for me, I'll just go quick. And then Chris, I want you to wrap it up with your thoughts, but I think this idea of home valet, like Dave and Jonathan are saying, like this service is, is a good one. It's certainly better to me um, than in fridge delivery, but I still expect, especially during a pilot that Walmart's going to pick up some of the slack here, that it's not just going to be like, we're dumping this nebulous, like $499 fee plus the monthly subscription fees plus, 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 plus. And, and I think that I'm still expecting there to be some like give and take here with Walmart to just get some early adoption of this, this home delivery cooler. Chris. My take similar to what you guys have said. I mean, I was doing the math on this, you know, let's say you're in for $500 for the box at the low end, right? $180 for the subscription, mm-hmm. another hundred dollars for Walmart plus, you know, that you're in for nearly $800 in the first year. That that seems like a lot of money. So that's definitely not going to work in the long run for the mass market of American grocery delivery. Um, but I love the idea in the sense of, you know, it's much, much better than in your fridge delivery, which, right. by the way, they were talking about a week beforehand. So like there's a there's an odd coincidence to the timing of these announcements again which makes me wonder what the heck's going on at Walmart too. There seems like there's a lot of this PR coming, which makes me really curious to see what the earnings statements are going to be here in the next couple of weeks. Um, But the other point too, like it all, it also all activates through the Walmart app. I mean, sorry, through the, through the home valet app, which I think is really weird. Um, And so that's a problem even in the long run that you got to figure out, like I could get by the cost coming down, but the experience going through the home valet app seems really, really strange to me from the get-go. That would be the last, the last point I would have. I don't know, David, Jonathan, you guys have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, no, I, I, I thought that was odd, right? Like you, if you're Walmart, wouldn't you want to have the, it, the experience go through your kind of platform? It felt, it definitely felt like a, a strange move that it, I imagine that if they scaled beyond, uh, beyond this pilot, that it would, uh, it would go through the Walmart app or, or, or at least the Walmart owned app. Yeah, it's going to have to move that direction in some way, shape, or form. All right, well, let's keep rolling because this next headline is going to be pretty fun. I think it's right in your guys' wheelhouse, too. And that is that GoPuff this week launched its first private label line. The line, known as basically with a comma at the end, because Ann Natch, why wouldn't it? There's so many things I want to talk about like base, that I can't say on the podcast, but keep going. Well, basically, the basically line includes bottled water, snacks, batteries, paper products, and other household essentials. And then, get this, another line of snacks under the brand Basically Amazing is said to be coming soon as well. Jonathan, got to get your take on this move. What do you think of this one? Okay, well, we'll get into the naming and branding and all that stuff uh, later, but let's put that to one side. (laughs) Um, uh, Look, inconvenience, the smart way to drive margin has been not through like-for-like pricing, but through by, uh, you know, removing comparability and managing the basket. And private labels always been a really smart way to do that. So, you know, about 15 points of price differential between supermarket and convenience, about 10 of those 15 has usually come from assortment management and only five has come from price comparison. So I, I guess this is smart. I think the other thing that's in its favor is that GoPuff and all the rest of the hyperlocal, it's definitely a service proposition. 
And therefore you have a lot more leeway with the assortment because you're fundamentally buying in because of super convenience rather than uh, the assortment choices. It triggers a whole bunch of questions, which we might want to get into around kind of how it, you know, what it does for their business partnerships, where else it could go, et cetera, et cetera. But on the economics, I completely get it. Now, let's all put our turtlenecks on and do the marketing stuff, but <laughs> that's, a, that's a different issue. Yeah, Ed, well, Ed, I think he teed it up for you. What do you, what do you think? What, what would you add to what Jonathan said or what, what's your comments on the marketing side here? You know, I think, you know, Jonathan said it, they are, they're, focusing on the economics here. They're pulling to find every last coin in the couch cushion that they can so that they can make the economics of instant delivery work. But I think, look, this works in the stores. It's, it works when you have the own brands next to the national brands. You give customers another choice, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's a great move forward, at least at the very least to test. Now, I think Jonathan brings up some really good points, though, about what does that do to their relationships with, you know, some of the national players um, and bigger brands. But, I, you know, it, again, it works in the stores. Why not try it um, in this case and try to make up some extra cash? So you guys are both all in on this, then it sounds like. David, do you have the same opinion? I do, but it's slightly different a variant. Um, I think GoPuff is one of the only players that owns their own distribution network. So that kind of makes this possible for them. If you look at the DoorDashes and Instacarts of the world, as they move from two hour to 15 minute, like they can't actually do this without building out a distribution network themselves. So I think it's actually a really interesting way for GoPuff to be more profitable than its competitors, mm -hmm. uh, which in the long run could be really important. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's what I, I think you guys, I, I agree with everything I said too on this one. It's funny how we're uh, in alignment so far. I'm curious if that continues throughout the show, but um, yeah, I mean, we, we had the GoPuff CEO or co-CEO, Rafael Ilisayev on earlier this week, and he talked about how their strategy was what David just said. It was all about vertical integration. And this plays right into that. And then now it's them getting control of their own assortment, which gives them a, you know, a little more power, a little more flexibility and be able to meet the needs of the consumer. Then, of course, you get the price comparisons on site. I think it's just natural. And shout out to Jessica Glendening, former Target colleague of ours, Anne, who is heading this effort up for GoPuff yeah. too. That was really cool yeah. to see uh, coming from her work previously at Brandless, um, which we've talked about a lot. This seems like a, a much better move on that front. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I think overall, I, I think I'm with you guys. I think net net, it seems like seems like a smart, smart player. And, and you got to talk about, like, we can't move on until you talk about your, yeah. your instant delivery experience this past week in New York too, because I think it's really salient for everyone to hear about it. Absolutely. I mean, Chris and I, we we were locked into the hotel just trying to get ready and prep. And so, you know, going out, especially during COVID um, into a city that you're not, you know, super familiar with the surroundings to be able to get we got we got water delivered to our room. Um, I had I had placed an order and I had two orders in 15 minutes. Not one order, but two orders. I had forgotten to order something, so I quickly uh, entered it in actually Bikes app. And within yeah seven minutes for some delivery, we did it again uh, yesterday to get some some uh, Advil for Chris's feet that were so sore after standing at the show for both of us, actually. Yeah, I hurt but, my I mean, leg. I couldn't walk. And that got added I mean, in seven minutes. It was crazy. Exactly. Like we ordered it from seven the room and, and before, like we were rushing to get down in the elevator to get this. So, and now that we've done it, I mean, I was hooked. I think I did it six times while we were yeah. in New York. Um, but I think Chris, just to add on, like not just from GoPuff, but we also talked to the bike CEO, which we'll be um, releasing in a couple of days here. But 
vertical integration is the name of the game. They are all talking about ways to figure out how they add and stack more into the platform that they are in control of operations of. So I think that's something key to watch out for. Can I just add, I, I just want to add one question. It's a question, but it occurred to me is, I wonder if you'll see that basically assortment made available to independents, to bodegas. So will you actually see it becoming a private brand, but then mm. they only provide it to independents, which actually from their point of view might be quite attractive because you'd establish brand presence and credibility. You could also establish a price point, which allows you to then look less premium through your uh, hyper-local platform. Just, just a thought, just watch out for that. Whoa, mind blown. Didn't think, didn't even see that angle coming. Yeah. And that's not traditionally something you see in that, in that space either. So that's kind of fascinating to think about when you, wow, great, great call out, Jonathan. All right, you guys, let's move on to headline number three. So we had two huge headlines in the ongoing computer vision and checkout free wars this week. Uh, the first was Trigo announcing that they are coming to America. They're coming stateside with Wakefern. And second, that iFi has opened a checkout free store with Aldi over in the UK, another market that's been expanding very rapidly when it comes to checkout free convenience stores. Um, Jonathan, I'm going to go to you first. Which do you feel is the more important announcement? Trigo bringing checkout free tech um, after its success with, with Tesco in the UK stateside or Aldi opening up this 6,000 square foot space with iFi? Okay, so I'm not <laughs> I'm not trivializing either of them, but I think yes. the, I think the Aldi thing is a BFD. Yeah, uh, what do you BFD. think? BFD. Wow. Seriously, do explain. Uh, well, I, I uh, you don't want me to explain the acronym, do you? Because I think you'd get a you'd no, get a, I, I get, adult we, rating in the that part. Your that part we're good with, but yes, <laughs> talk about the Aldi, the Aldi. Why do you think Aldi's the bigger story here? So here's why. So I put myself in the shoes of uh, uh, sort of an exec at one of the incumbent grocers uh, in the UK or in Europe, right? Okay. Here's the world in which you've lived. You've lived in a world in which the discount has entered. They took pricing down in the market as a whole. You did a whole load of work on taking costs out of your business and rationalizing your assortment to compete. And you thought you'd close the back gap and you thought you had new sustainability in market pricing. And then along come these guys who you've always regarded as having the lowest cost model, particularly on labor. Right. And they say, right. do you know what? We've got a super standardized store and operating model. It allows us to scale technology way faster than you. And we're going to go again and take labor costs out of our If you're an exec in an incumbent grocer in Europe, you're thinking, seriously, please? <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do next? Give them bags? You're thinking right, WTF? Give them their own bags? Exactly. WTF, right? I mean, kind of is what do we do next? Because yeah, these yeah. guys, because of their model, because of the standardization of their model, et cetera, et cetera, they can just, they can just uh, replicate this at far greater speed, I would imagine. And then what are they going to do with the cost saving? Well, we kind of know what they're going to do with the cost saving. Right. That's interesting. David, what do you think? Well, I thought both of these stories were important, but I'll, I'll lean towards Trigo uh, just because I think that they're on fire, right? They've had success in Europe and now they're entering North America. But the more important point to me is around regional grocery in the U.S. Um, I don't think Wakefern is getting enough credit for their innovation. So they no. did micro-fulfillment first with, with uh, takeoff. They've done this. I mean, I think there's a subset of regional grocers, call it the Wake Ferns, the Giant Eagles, the Schnooks of the world. They're really leaning into innovation. And in my opinion, that's a really 
a good sign for regional grocers in the, in the competition against the Kroger's and the Walmarts of the world. That's a great point, Dave. Um, Chris, you, you've got something to say. I yeah, tell. I do. I, I want to come back to Jonathan's point. And, um, and full disclosure, I think everyone that listens to this program a lot knows this, that we've done a lot of work with Trigo over the years. So, you know, please take that in what I'm about to say. But, but I would actually, I would side with David too. I think it, I think it's still Trigo. I think, don't get me wrong, the Aldi announce, announcement is also huge. But I, it comes with one caveat, which and I made sure to find out the accuracy of this information. The Aldi store that's opening in London is actually a new build. Mm-hmm. And so for Trigo, like a, a new build for Trigo is like drawing a, 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 a drawing something in crayon in my bathtub, right? Like it's <laughs> it's so easy for them. It's like a walk in the park where, and so in, I don't know this for sure, but I got to imagine based on what they've done with other retailers, they're going to take a retrofit type approach with Wakefern too, or they have at least shown the capability of doing that with a large scale grocer like a Tesco. So I think while it's cool that they're doing it with Aldi, the bigger signal here is that someone in America is finally doing this. The regional grocery point is dead on too. Mm-hmm. Like it's cool to see somebody regionally starting to do this. Um, so that's why I'd still give the edge to Trigo because it signals that now it's come to America and now hopefully more people get on board, but not to, not to downplay the Aldi side of it. But I think there's more that needs to come before I think we get to the point of, oh, you know, OS, um, now we're going to scale this across Aldi really quickly. So many acronyms in this I know, right? I, this I, I'm trying not to swear real. in this yeah. episode for the first yeah. time. Yeah, I do. I do think we need to give some credit to, to Aldi and the iFi team. This is the largest um, checkout free outside of an Amazon produced store that we are seeing um, in market right now. But again, I, I have to agree with you guys. I think Trigo here is the, the stronger story. I think it's only a matter of time. The acceleration that we're going to see in this space in this next year, even alone, once Trigo opens that store this year with uh, Wakefern is, is going to make, you know, that 6,000 square foot store, you know, just a, a one small benchmark. And we're going to go far, far beyond that to, to your earlier points, but, but, Jonathan, I'm curious, like what, what's your, you get the retort here. Cause uh, it seems like we were kind of all, all three of us, David, Anne, and myself were kind of gearing towards what you said, had our guns pointing towards you. What do you think? Final word. No, no well, I didn't take it that way. I thought we were, <laughs> I thought we were arguing between a BFD and a BFFD or something. Right. Right. That's true. Actually. Yes. Yes. But still arguing. Right. Yes. 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 So, um, so let me just cancer a little bit on the, let me just make the case for Aldi one more time, which is I want yes. us to play a bit of a mind game, which is, um, uh, imagine they can uh, replicate this in retrofit, which I, I do believe they're best place to be able to do because of the standardization of their store model um, and the simplicity of their assortment. Um, let's imagine they do. Um, what do you think happens when Aldi takes, I don't know, three points of margin uh, out of their business and decides to put half of it into pricing, but get this, puts half of it into service and comes after bakery and deli. So it looks a little bit more like Lidl. I mean, now you've got the three horsemen of the apocalypse going on for like incumbent grocers. So mm-hmm. I, I just think a model like Aldi delivering a new round of price cuts and service enhancement is just like a rock in a pond in the grocery mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great way to that's a great way to frame it up here, you know, too. I think, you know, so in some ways we're probably remiss with the way we asked the question, too, because it could be that Aldi getting into checkout free retail is the biggest story. And the question ultimately is what is the provider 
upon which they're going to do that. And there's, and that is still way open. God knows who they could be working with on that front too. But you know, that the fact that it's coming could raise all those issues you're saying is, is that's pretty, pretty damn important. I think at the end of the day, all right, well, let's keep moving. Uh, headline number four, fast food chains, checkers and rallies are rolling out automated voice ordering at the drive-thru. According to chain store age, again, checkers drive-in restaurants, which operates checkers and rallies, will roll out Presto's automated voice ordering technology to all of its approximately 260 stores or restaurants during 2022. The news comes after Checkers and Rallies conducted a detailed pilot program of Presto's automated voice ordering technology at multiple locations over a four-month period of time and found that the solution delivered a high level of automation and accuracy with reportedly over 98% of drive through orders completed with minimal intervention from restaurant employees. Now, Jonathan, back to you. We just I just did a panel at NRF with experts from NVIDIA and Lenovo, and I asked them, I said, where are we going to see AI impact retail the most in 2022? And I was shocked to hear them say voice ordering. So my first question is, what is your take on this headline? And would you be advising clients to make similar investments in this space? Yeah, so I saw this and uh, I was reminded I may have got the source of the quote wrong, but wasn't it Steve Jobs who said that voice was the ultimate user interface? And uh, I think he's been proven right. Um, uh, now, I think it's interesting that we're seeing this in the restaurant sector. And I think there are a bunch of reasons why it's particularly salient and why I think perhaps more traditional kind of grab and pay uh, retailers should just pause for a minute. So a few things. One is that in the restaurant sector, uh, one of the things we've seen with uh, screen-based uh, uh, customer ordering is that the customer trades themselves up. So the business case is driven, initially people think the business case is driven by labor savings, but it's actually driven by higher ticket. Because whenever the consumer's faced with the choice of whether to trade up, when someone asks them, they're less likely to do it than when they privately choose to do it. So technology allows sort of private guilty pleasure and you know adding that sundae and toffee fudge and all that sort of stuff without anyone else knowing. Um, so I can see why voice um, in this sector, especially with intelligence-driven suggestions, is very conducive to the consumer. It's very friendly. It's a very easy way to drive the business case. I, I just think we need to think about what are the other environments in which the consumer can do this using voice. It's not going to work. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't see how it works in a traditional store setting in, in, in the aisle. I do think, though, there's this real interesting question about does it allow us to displace a whole load of ordering out of the store using our mobile device? Uh, because that's a voice-based platform. So is that where it takes us? I don't know. I, I, the thing I'm uncertain on is where it expands. I completely get it in the restaurant sector. Yeah, this is cool. We're going to go deep on this, too, because I think you just raised a ton of points that I think I think our audience deserves us to go at a very low level into. David, what do you think? Well, I agree with Jonathan um, on the, you know, it, it does drive a bigger ticket, but I, I think we'd be remiss to not talk about rising wages, uh, labor shortages, uh, anything you can do to automate in retail and or restaurants, I think tends to be a good idea in the current environment. And if you can do it in a way that's, that's pleasing to the customer, it feels like a no brainer. Do you, do you think that the, the dynamics of quick service restaurants be versus like a traditional retail environment plan is at all? Like, would you be advising clients 
in QuickServe to look at this more closely than you would say traditional retailers? I think this technology is probably more applicable to quick service restaurants than it is to a traditional retailer. But I think, you know, call centers and other places like that that retailers operate, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. And what do you think? Yeah. I mean, what I love about this is it's just another tool in the tool belt for, for retailers in general, particularly QSR. I mean, just because you're deploying QSR ordering does not mean that it's, you know, shifting the entire model to removing people from the, the operation. I think that, you know, we talked to a company just at NRF Vistry AI, who's who the founder, um, Atif, was saying like, look, you don't have to, you, it's not one or the other. It's, you know, you can have, you can dial it all the way back to, you know, you have AI taking orders and serving the customer. And the only point of contact that your brand has with the customer is handing the food off, you know, directly to the consumer, or you can have, you know, somebody checking this. I think it, it solves for so many things and lets the, the QSR uh, retailer, especially dial up or dial down, depending on, you know, where, where, what staffing looks like that day. Like, did somebody show up for work that day and do they need to completely automate the, the drive-through process? And can they put staffing, you know, onto, onto other, other places throughout? And I think also, you know, as we start to take this into other retail applications, um, I think it's it's only going to, you know, QSR is only going to train the customer to, you know, know how to do this as we get into maybe apparel, you know, use cases or customer service use cases. So I'm 100% in for this. Uh, that's interesting. See, that's interesting to me because I think there's, I think there's some, there's some subtle points to this that I actually I would I would attribute to. A big epiphany I had at NRF, and I don't remember who we were interviewing. Yeah, um, it might have been Kroger at the time. I think it was Kroger, where um, you know they said where you can find standardized processes that happen the same way over and over again. Those yeah. are tailor made for AI to work really well. Right. And so when I look at the quick service restaurant injury, industry with ordering at a menu, you've got a small subset of items. People are generally doing it the same way. They're may, probably making the same types of substitutions over and over again. Yeah, maybe you don't want pickles on your Big Mac, but like that's easy to understand versus when you start getting the adoptions in like customer service relationships or even Jonathan, like you said, ordering on my mobile phone across 120,000 plus SKUs at a Walmart, you know, give or take, like that becomes infinitesimally more complicated. And so that's why for me, I'm still like, I see the use case in QSR, plus it can be buoyed by the, the, the employee that's still there, right? They're not gone out of this equation. I mean, they even alluded to that and the fact that you yeah. know, they still have someone there in the article. Um, so that I think makes the application very different. Where if I was advised, me personally, if I was thinking on the retail side, um, I wouldn't be jumping into this as much as say, using AI for delivery optimization, um, you know, AI forecasting, inventory monitoring, computer vision for inventory monitoring, things like that. Those seem like better use cases for me than focusing on voice. But I don't know what you guys think if you have any last thoughts on that. Well, voice is super simple, right? So again, let's, um, let's play an imagination game, right? Which is let's think about a, a, a fast growing uh, model, which is all about convenience and is the platform is technology based and the assortment is relatively edited and uh, where you'd like to be able to trade people up to expand your margin. Well, I'm thinking something like GoPuff, right? So um, I wonder, you know, I wonder, I think in edited assortment, high convenience factor retail, right. it's interesting. That's a, that's a great expansion on that whole argument. David, what do you think here? I tend to be in your camp. I do think that the, the more 
the more narrow the, the assortment or the, the, the list of items, the better this will be. That said, I think Jonathan's point is very valid that in, in targeted kind of more controlled retail spaces, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's a fascinating point too, because we've talked about instant delivery and you talked about it being like such a hook psychologically. If then yeah. they can make the hook so much easier from a facilitation through voice, voice ordering, holy crap. I mean, we just, we just ran into a really good territory that I had no idea we were going to go into today, but, Anne, what do you think? Final word. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing you have, you can't think of voice alone either. So as a retailer who's investigating this, you know, I, yeah. I, I would say, yes, you should be invest investing resources in voice and how it applies and works with other elements of your business. I mean, Chris Rupp said, you know, when we interviewed her at NRF too, the uh, chief digital officer of Albertsons, they're applying AI to buy it again orders. And so I think when you start to tie those things in of like, what's AI pulling from you to choose from to narrow that selection when you do have a hundred thousand plus SKUs in a store, like that using voice with that, I think to me makes, makes sense. So it's not acting alone, Yeah. but let's get to the last headline, you guys, because Chris loves this one. I can't wait to hear what Dave and Jonathan think about that. <laughs> um, all right. So headline number five, save now, buy later. That's right. Save now, buy later, not buy now, pay later. Uh, startup accrue savings just raised $25 million. So what is save now, buy later, you may ask? Well, it works like this. According to Payments Dive, a shopper who wants to save for a pair of, say, Allbirds shoes can choose a payment schedule using an accrue savings account, which is linked to their bank account. So as the shopper makes periodic contributions, the brand also contributes to the purchase when a customer hits certain milestones. So, uh, Jonathan, I want to go to you first again. Where does this register for you on a scale of one to 10 on the new ideas to watch scale? Are you in? Uh, well, okay. So it's a new idea to watch. I'm skeptical about its uh, traction. Um, first mm. of all, I should say, uh, as the parent of a 17-year-old uh, daughter who operates on the concept of buy now, buy later, I like the <laughs> idea of introducing the idea of save now, buy later. Um, yes. I, when I saw this story, I thought, you know, this might be a teachable moment. We should sit down over dinner and discuss <laughs> the idea. And she just looked at me in that kind of, oh my kind of way so that didn't oh, go yeah. anywhere I look but she actually is an interesting she is a specific example I think of a more general point because for the consumer this is like uh, angel versus devil on your shoulder right we've seen the huge expansion of buy now pay later and all the innovation mm -hmm. that's going on there which is the instant gratification of credit fueled uh, purchase and now we have the angel on the shoulder of kind of deferred gratification of uh, saving driven purchase I think there's a real interesting question about who has great attraction in the market, the devil or the angel. Um, I'm unsure. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting about this was I can see that there's a lot in it for the finance provider and the retailer. Um, clearly, a finance provider, you'll do arbitrage on, on the funds that you're holding and all those sorts of stuff. For the retailer, it creates a stickiness, which is the moment I've begun to save for something, I'm probably in for the purchase and I'm identified and I can potentially be traded up with, you know, things like dollar matching and all that sort of stuff into the saving fund. I'm just struggling with what's in it for the consumer. That's what I was had a real problem with. And I think for there to be something in it for the consumer, you have to believe that there's quite a pool of margin it creates that the retailer can give you quite rich deals back. And, and I'm struggling with that. So I, I, I want it to work from my kind of puritanical point of view, but I'm struggling. 
love that point of view. Dave, what about you? What are you thinking here? What can you, what do you have to add? I'm just going to sit here laughing. I mean, to be honest, to call this new is laughable to me. This is like Sears right. in 1980 layaway. Like, yep. This is digitized, which I, I think, you know, there's a subset of customers that will like. And if you, if you step back, fintech is on fire, right? There's money chasing all these ideas. But one thing that, that I don't think has been talked about enough is some of those uh, buy now, pay later uh, models are starting to, to find that customers are delinquent and paying back. I think I'd read somewhere that 20 to 25% of customers that have used it in the last year have missed a payment. So yeah. in that world, this actually starts to become maybe a viable model or a more economically viable model and lower risk model that I, I think there's a real place in the market for it. Yeah, Dave, I, I read the same thing, um, which, you know, is always a, a concerning thing. But, you know, again, same thing is happening with credit cards. So, you know, buy now, pay later, just being another version of credit. But Chris is chomping at the bit here. Oh, yeah, totally. He's he's like going to he's going to blow us all away with what. No, no, I, say, I just right? agree with David said. That's why I think I love it, because it's not new. It's just a technological twist on something that we've seen before, which makes me think it's going to work. Right. It's just facilitating layaway now for many, many more people. It's giving access to them for them to do that. And to your point, the dynamics of what's going to happen in the buy now, pay their space is, is what it is. And, you know, we're going to see. And, and so uh, the other thing I'd add too, which I think is a cool wrinkle, I think this gives a whole different perspective to like the, the special drops, like that you see at a Nike or a fashion place where it helps people get into that in a much lower risk way, a way that's not as detrimental to their credit history potentially. But David, I saw you want to jump back in. Go for it. Yeah, no, I'm excited about this. I think it, this is this is akin to how major retailers can offer their own credit card. Like this gives a small retailer the chance to offer a layaway program, which I think yep. is just a, a really interesting new un, underserved space uh, that I, if I could invest in this, I certainly would. Wow. Oh, and... Oh, yeah, you poo-pooed this. You didn't even want to no. do this article. Okay. Well, first of all, you're on your own all, here. Go I'm for gonna, it. That's fine. First of all, no way, no way in a drop case am I as a retailer going to take a layaway program instead of somebody who's willing to take the credit risk and buy it that day. There's no reason for them to do this at all. And so while I think that it makes sense and I agree with Jonathan, like psychologically as a culture, should we be teaching people to save and not have the instant gratification that buy now, pay later and credit provides? I think it's a great idea and concept. My Scottish grandfather who was saved every penny would be like, yes, this is where the country should be going. But honestly, we this is not the reality of the culture that we live in. I think, um, you know, it, it might make sense in other categories, like maybe in grocery, like Tesco just released a program with like preloaded, basically layaway grocery programs this last week so that people can manage their grocery spend. But I think when you talk about things like, like on like drops, Chris, like, or anything, it does not make sense for any retailers to not only offer the, like take somebody on credit or on layaway who also might not pay, but, and might not pay over the course of eight to however many weeks, but also give them incentive to pay them to, to, you know, give them deals at certain points. No way is this going to go. I'm sorry. I love you all, but I'm not, I'm not in it. All right. Uh, okay. All right. I, I, Jonathan, what do you think here? Well, I, I just, I've just realized that Anne's just invented a new concept called save now, be off trend later. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> which is what it would be. 
you're not even going to be able to take that Instagram picture if you don't have the product. So, I mean, if, you, if you're waiting eight weeks later, nobody's going to care anymore. No, I think there's, I, uh, David, go. Yeah, I disagree. And I think if you think about it from like a, an e-commerce perspective, like think of cart abandonment. If you give yes. the person that, that was checking out and sees this big number and doesn't want to do it, the option to save now, pay later, I think there's a not, non-insignificant amount of people that, that wouldn't abandon their cart. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Dave. I mean, I think that's a, I, I see that use case. I'm not saying this doesn't work for all retailers. I think where it, where the rub really comes for me is in like where Chris is talking about like that luxury retailers are like drops are going to be affected or impacted by this. And there is no possible way there. I'm sorry. It's not. Happening. Well, that's fine. That's fine. That, that, that shouldn't distract from the value of the whole idea in total. So then are you back on the train of this is a good idea in total? I'm saying there are use cases for it. Do I think it's going to like overwhelm retail and we're going to see the same adoption of this that that we do buy now, pay later? No, I don't. No. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Fascinating discussion. God, I love this show. This is so great. We are going all time. It is. It is. It's been fun. Um, But let's get to the lightning round. So I'm going to go first here. Jonathan, you're on the spot first. Uh, Glassdoor just released their top 100 employers list and only one retailer made the top 25. That was Lululemon. Uh, Jonathan, if you were applying to jobs in stores right now, which retailer would be the first to receive your application? Okay. This one's an easy one for me because it's a retailer it's a retailer in Rochester, New York, called a Whole Latter Love. So it's a coffee retailer. Play on name there, Whole Latter Love. A, I'm a coffee geek, and B, it has to be one of the best names for a retailer anywhere in the world. So, oh my gosh, like it's a yeah. close second to Frivolous, the store that we saw uh, at uh, at at the airport yesterday. For yeah, me. So <laughs> that's right. Yes, but uh, all right, David, you seem like a fast food connoisseur. So what is one fast food favorite that you think a voice recognition system would have trouble identifying for you if you tried to order it at your favorite drive through restaurant? Wow, I'm not sure if I should be insulted. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would go, uh, go Taco Bell, which is a guilty pleasure. I'll go Crunchwrap Supreme, which I can hardly even get out of my mouth right now. So I, I can imagine there's a lot of uh, people that stumble on that one. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine what that would be um, on the screen. All right, let's go to the next one. So Jonathan, Dippin' Dots Ice Cream has announced a partnership with Edible Cutlery Startup and Shark Tank finalist Incredible Eats. The startup is now expanding into edible straws, chopsticks, and more. Jonathan, if you were a shark, would you be offering Incredible Eats Edible Cutlery a deal? Oh, I am so in on this. You Just are. Oh, God, think about the angle on this. It's sustainability, plays into the eco trend, and it's a new kind of guilty pleasure. I don't have to order yeah. the extra scoop of ice cream. I just eat the cutlery. Yeah, in, in addition to a, in a delicious cookie flavor. I love it. Sustainable <laughs> and tasty. Oh, that's awesome. All right, David, last question. And so glad you brought up Taco Bell. I was hoping you were going to go there on the last one. But to close this up, Decathlon announced the app announced this week that they're applying RFID throughout their entire store base, their product catalog inside their entire store base. If you were a decathlete, at which sport would you be better, javelin throwing or pole vaulting? Oh, wow. I think pole vaulting requires a level of athletic ability that I <laughs> lack. I'm going to go javelin throwing. <laughs> javelin throwing. Throwing the spear. All right. Nice. Nicely done. Nicely done. All right, guys. Well, hey, that was a blast. Jonathan Sharp, David Ritter from the AM Consumer and Retail Group. 
for those, if those are listening, if people are listening, they want to get in touch with you guys, what's the best way for them to do that? David, why don't you go first? I'll go first. Uh, D Ritter, R-I-T-T-E-R at alvarezandmarsal.com. Or our website is www.alvarezandmarsal-crg.com. Awesome. Jonathan, same question to you. Uh, I am jonathan.sharp at alvarezandmarsal.com. And there's lots of ways you can misspell those names, but that's fine. You'll work it out. And uh, same website as Dave. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, that wraps up our Thanks show. Happy birthday day to Skeet Ulrich, Bill Maher, and the always unbelievable Lorenzo Lamas, and the person with the best alliteration ever in the history of names. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it Talk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you. And it fits all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. Thanks again to David Ritter and Jonathan Sharp of the AM Consumer and Retail Group for joining us today. And of course, as always, be careful out there. Yummy Talk Fast Five is a Microsoft-sponsored podcast. Microsoft Cloud for Retail connects your customers, your people, and your data across the shopper journey, delivering personalized experiences and operational excellence. And is also brought to you in association with the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The AM Consumer and Retail Group is a management consultant firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. And finally, Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now, pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit sezzle.com.